1: Hey, guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Happy Friday. We have survived yet another week in Biden's America. Congratulations. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Please follow me on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore and on Twitter and Truth Social. I am at Monica Crowley. Also send me an email about this show to Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. That's Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. I look at them all. I see them all. And we're going to deal with some of your emails at the end of the show. All right. Well, today I want to tell you a story that's gotten very little coverage, but should be getting a lot more coverage. But for obvious reasons, is not, which is why I'm going to bring it to you. So sit tight for that. Also today, we're going to talk to our friend Steve Moore about his brand new study about Team Biden and basically how they're all communists, which of course we knew, but Steve Moore actually has the data to back that up, so he's going to be here. Plus, I want to get his read on inflation because nobody knows this topic better than Steve does. So we're going to pick his brain about inflation, where prices are going, and uh, what's ahead of us in terms of a recession and so on. So you're going to want to sit tight for that. All right, and looking ahead to Monday, we're going to have the phenomenal Carrie Lake on the podcast. Carrie is a Republican candidate for governor of Arizona. She is fierce, she is fearless, and she also has Donald Trump's endorsement. She's going to be here, and you're not going to want to miss that because she is truly a member of the new right. She is one of us. Uh, Also on Monday, I do want to take a lot of time on Monday's program to take apart what we know about the 2020 election and the fraud that is all around it. Speaking of Carrie Lake, she talks a lot about this on the campaign trail. She talks a lot about what happened in Arizona and if you guys remember, they called the state of Arizona for Joe Biden pretty early in the evening. I remember being in the White House that night. And we were all watching all the big screens, and it was all on Fox. And I remember Bill Hemmer, that they flipped Arizona into the blue column while he was standing at the map, and the entire White House just fell silent. So, she has been on top of the election fraud and the vote rigging that went on in her home state. She's openly talking about it. She's made it actually a platform of her campaign. So, we're going to talk to her about that on Monday, but I also want to spend some time doing an in depth breakdown of the facts so far, not just in Arizona, but around the country, so you're not going to want to miss Monday's show for sure. Also, later today, we are going to get to your emails, as I mentioned. So, all right, here we go. First up, the Monica memo. Joe Biden is overseas, and of course, as I mentioned on Wednesday, whenever presidents are in deep domestic trouble, They hightail it out of here, they flee the scene of the accident, and they go abroad. Because they think being on the international stage, being feted and admired by other world leaders, uh, being seen as a peer to, say, uh, the Prime Minister of Great Britain or the President of France, that that elevates them. And it will help them at home. Well, that's been the usual MO of presidents on both sides of the aisle. They all do this. Uh, And I think Joe Biden also felt that it would help him here. But guys, you know what? We are in an era, and this has been going on for quite a while. We're in an era where the usual patterns of behavior are not generating the usual consequences. So people think, well, if we do X, we'll get Y because that's always been the case. That's always been the way it is. But in the last couple of years, everything has been turned upside down and very unusual things have been done. Very unusual things have happened as a consequence. So no longer does X necessarily lead to Y. And yet so many in our our government and and elsewhere just assume that the usual patterns will kick in. And I think that's what happened here. The White House, remember, the White House sent Biden abroad about two weeks ago. Remember, he was in Europe, and we talked about it on this podcast. And, uh, of course, that was a, a mess. And he was going to then go on to the Middle East to do what he's doing right now, he was going to do that as part of that original European trip. But of course, he's old and senile and couldn't hack it. So they had to bring him back to the United States, give him about a two-week period of time for him to rest and sleep. And then they said, we're going to send him on a separate trip. As I've mentioned to you, I've been on these government trips. Two years at Treasury, we we're all over the world, China, India, the Middle East, Europe, you name it, we were there. And these trips are grueling. They take so much out of you. The jet lag, the getting on planes, the eight-hour, nine-hour, 10-hour flights, uh, you're in a different time zone. You're under high-pressure circumstances because you're doing very high-level meetings about the future of America and the free world and protecting America's interests. So these trips take a lot out of you. For, for an aide of any age, okay, it's these things are exhausting. Never mind being the president. So you are the point person. You cannot blunder. You cannot make mistakes. You're the president. You know, it's one thing if a staffer makes a mistake or even a cabinet member, say, secretary of the treasury. But if he makes a mistake, um, markets are roiled. Everything goes into chaos. Imagine what happens when the president of the United States makes a mistake, especially abroad, whether in private conversations with his counterparts or publicly in a press conference abroad or answering reporters' questions abroad, all hell can break loose. Biden's handlers know that, so they they decided to split the trip into two, bring him back, have him rest, and then send him back out. Well, it doesn't seem to have worked, that two-week rest period, because He's out there making all kinds of mistakes. He went to Israel. Today, he's in Saudi Arabia. In Israel, guys, in Israel, he spent 15 minutes with the Israeli prime minister. 15 minutes. Now, they say it was 30 because half of it's translation. So if you're actually looking for the content part of that meeting, a whopping 15 minutes with the Israeli Prime Minister. Israel, which is sitting in a very rough neighborhood and has throughout its entire existence, you've got Iran marching toward a nuclear weapon. We're going to talk about that in a second. So Israel has always faced an existential fight for, for its existence. Joe Biden goes over there, uh, and and he spends 15 minutes with our key ally in the Middle East. And I I was hearing some uh, Israelis on uh, media talking about this meeting and they were trying to be polite about it because they didn't want to insult the American president, but they were saying, uh, come on, you know, 15 minutes. And it was, uh, they, they suggested it was obvious that Joe Biden was extremely tired and couldn't go much beyond the 30 minutes allotted for the meeting. So this is what we have. Remember on Wednesday, I gave you that quote, an anonymous Democrat had said about Joe Biden, well, we've got a five to five and a half day week president because on the weekends they send him to Delaware so he can rest. Well, now he's abroad and he cut short his meeting with the Israeli PM because he couldn't hack it. He was exhausted. This is what we're dealing with. So today, he went over to uh, Saudi Arabia to meet with MBS, the crown prince of Saudi, running the country. And, you know, his whole mission on this trip is a, a couple of fold. But in Israel, it's to try to sell the Israelis on this disastrous catastrophic Iran nuclear deal we're going to get some more details about it we'll cover it more next week when we have more about this but apparently the administration has struck a deal to send trillions of dollars over the next eight years or so to Tehran based on a promise that Tehran will not build a nuclear weapon Now, again, as we get more details, that that early reporting could be wrong. As we get more details, we will bring it to you next week as we hear more about this. But if that is true, that is a catastrophic move for regional and world peace, America's interests, Israel's interests. And guess what? The Sunni Arab interests are allies in the region that are Sunni Arab uh, countries like Saudi Arabia that despise Iran, are terrified of Iran with a nuclear weapon because it's going to destabilize the entire region, the entire world. And then countries like Saudi Arabia are going to have to pursue a nuclear weapon to counterbalance Iran. So now you're going to have a nuclear arms race in the Middle East, the biggest tinderbox in the world. And that's exactly what Biden is doing. He is trying to put a bow on what the Obama administration did with Iran, which, let's be honest, it really looks like, and there's no other logical explanation for this, that Obama and Biden want Iran to have a nuclear weapon. So everything that they're telling you, oh, this is the deal to prevent Iran from getting a weapon. No, 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 no. Stop looking for logical reasons for any of this. The only logical reason is that they want Iran to go nuclear. So Biden is in Saudi Arabia today uh, trying to sell the Saudis on that piece of BS and also to try to get the Saudis to pump more oil, get more oil on the world market to try to bring down the price. When, of course, the president is sitting atop the most energy resources in the world right here in the United States, but refuses to get them out of the ground and onto the market to lower prices because climate change, Green New Deal, re-engineering the U.S. economy. That's why. So if I'm MBS today and I'm sitting with this demented fool called the American president, I would tell him to take a hike. I would literally tell him to go pound sand right out the door. We're in the middle of a desert, Mr. President. Go out there and pound sand. Tell him to take a hike. And I think that's what MBS is going to do. Nobody is saying MBS is a big hero here, okay? But the United States should not be calling on our, our, our enemies, our adversaries, regimes that are hostile to us, And yes, Saudi is an ally in certain areas, but they're not particularly friendly to the U.S., okay, in terms of our interests. Why are we going hat in hand? We know why. We know why. So if I'm MBS, who got along really well with the Trump administration, if I'm MBS, I'm rolling my eyes at this demented fool, and I will tell him to go pound sand. We'll see if I'm right about that prediction. Who knows? I could be wrong, but let's see. So uh, Biden is over there. He is obviously tired. He's obviously senile. And once again, I say, dementia is a progressive disease. It gets worse, not better. So with every passing day, he is getting worse. And then you send him into a different time zone. That's what, seven or eight hours ahead. And he's not getting his regular sleep routine. Of course, he's going to make mistakes. And, you know, it's one thing. If your regular grandpa goes over there and makes blunders talking to, you know, a a restaurant uh, maitre d' in Riyadh, it's another thing when the president of the United States does the same thing. So he's made several notable blunders during his trip, particularly in Israel. We'll see what happens in Saudi and so on. But when he was there, he said, we're going to celebrate the ending of people-to-people connection he meant enduring people to people connection but he said ending then he said he planned to visit yad vashem which is the holocaust remembrance center in jerusalem it's extraordinary i've been there if you go to israel i recommend a visit there it's just it's a necessary visit as well as an important one for everybody in the world but biden says he was going there to keep alive the truth and honor of the holocaust And then he quickly corrected himself and said, horror of the Holocaust, honor those we lost so that we never, ever forget that lesson, you know? That's what he said. And again, everybody misspeaks. We all do it. But when you're the president and you are making these repeated mistakes because you're tired and you're out to lunch, the consequences are severe. He made a couple of other blunders while he was there, uh, he seemingly at one point ignored the Abraham Accords, which the Trump administration brokered. These are the normalization agreements between Israel and historically hostile Gulf Arab states, hostile to Israel. So uh, those Abraham Accords are extraordinary in terms of getting the region to an enduring peace. It's all about economic integration as well as political and cultural integration as well. It is one of the the biggest and most important peace efforts in Middle East history. And Biden said, quote, with the last administration, we sort of walked away from the Middle East. The heck is that? I mean, we know he wants to minimize... We know he wants to minimize Donald Trump's achievements, but I mean, come on. (laughs) This is just straight out lying. This is why everybody in the Middle East just rolling their eyes at Biden, including MBS, including the Israelis, everybody in the Middle East is going, what the hell with this guy? One final really important point here. The president of the United States is a symbol of American power. So, given that, he must always project a commanding presence, particularly when overseas. Biden can't command his way out of a paper bag. We cannot go on like this. We cannot. All right, when we come back, I'm going to share with you a story that should be getting a lot more coverage, but isn't, and that's why I'm going to bring it to you, so sit tight. All right, welcome back. In a couple of minutes here, we're going to be joined by Steve Moore, our good friend who's got a new study out about Team Biden and how basically they're all communists, which we knew, but now we've got the data and the facts thanks to Steve. So he's going to join us. Uh, Also, your emails coming up at the end of the show. And I'm going to bring you here in just a minute a story Uh, that is getting no coverage that really should because it points to a much bigger issue in the country. Uh, First, though, I just want to touch on this breaking news, which is really important about inflation and everything else that we're talking about suffering through in this country. Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, appears now to be torpedoing the last remaining huge spending package that the Democrats have been fighting for now for well over a year. This whole build back better nonsense. Manchin and Cinema sort of originally stood in the breach and held up their hand and said, we're, we're not going down this road because last year they said, look, we're starting to see really bad inflation pop up. And if we spend another... Five, six trillion dollars as the left wing wanted and as the White House wanted, inflation is going to be so much worse than anybody anticipates. So good on Manchin for doing that. However, over the last couple of months, they've been trying to revive it by trying to accommodate Manchin's concerns, especially about the spending levels, right? So Manchin has been negotiating with Chuck Schumer and some other Democrats on a sort of pared down version of Build Back Better. Well, yesterday, thank God, Joe Manchin has said he would not support all of this new spending that the left wanted on climate and the tax increases uh, that the Democrats were pushing as well, so they basically wanted. They went from about five or six trillion in spending to about one trillion dollars in new tax hikes, and about five hundred to six hundred billion dollars in new spending. So, for the likes of AOC, who I talked about last night on Jesse Water Show, it was really fun. Um, for the likes of them, they are outraged about this because they went from five or six trillion down to 1.5 to accommodate Manchin. And now Manchin is saying, eh, even that's way too much. Sorry, guys, I can't do it. So, after a year of negotiations, especially when Manchin told Schumer that he would actually support big chunks of this stuff if they could negotiate their way around it. And now, as of yesterday, he went back to Schumer and said, you know what, I'm out. The only parts of this legislation that I can get with are lower prescription drug prices and to extend the enhanced Obamacare subsidies. But everything else out the window, I am not going to support it. So, uh, look, nothing in Washington is ever dead, so don't get your hopes up too much, but it does look as of now, like this thing is fizzling out. Again, if they bend over backwards for Manchin and give him a ton more, he maybe he's going to come around to this. But as of now, it looks like he has really slammed the brakes on it. You know what happened? Inflation. Inflation is what happened. And Manchin keeps seeing these numbers, including this week's 9.1% inflation on consumer prices uh, that we got for the month of June. And Manchin told reporters this week, quote, I was talking about inflation before it was even thought about. And now I'm more concerned than ever before. So environmental groups, of course, are going bananas on uh, Manchin. They said that they're, quote, appalled, outraged, and disappointed, and that they have to stand up for climate jobs and justice. So they're furious at Manchin. But good for Manchin for throwing a wrench in this at the last minute and standing up for, for not only his folks in West Virginia, but for the rest of us. Thank God for Joe Manchin. Let's just hope and pray he stands firm and that he doesn't bend in the end. And it would be nice if some other Democrats gave him some backup. Where's Kristen Cinema? Where's Mark Kelly? Where are these people bending to the left? You know, so worried about what the environmental groups are going to say. No, stand up. Show a backbone. Show some stones like Joe Manchin. Where are you guys? You're, you're going to go down in flames, hopefully, in November. So you might as well, you know, show a little backbone. Develop a little principle here. Even just out of pure political survival, just do it. Give Manchin some backup so he's not out there swinging alone. Anyway, hope and pray that Manchin stays firm. All right, I want to bring to you a story that nobody else is covering, and it should be getting a lot more attention, which is why we're talking about it here. There was a shocking lawsuit that was filed this week on Monday. Listen to this. According to the lawsuit, a man died in jail due to lack of medical attention, but the reason he was in jail was because of a mask mandate. According to Fox News, the family of a California man who died last year in an Oakland area jail after being arrested during a dispute over wearing a mask on a bus has now filed a lawsuit against Alameda County, alleging staff at the prison denied him medications he so desperately needed. Maurice Monk, 45 years old, died November 15th inside the Santa Rita jail from, quote, heart and or blood pressure complications due to a lack of medical care. This is according to the family's lawsuit. Quote, when Maurice Monk was brought to defendant Alameda County's Santa Rita jail on October 11th, 2021, he was arrested and being held after having a verbal disagreement for not wearing a mask on a bus and missing a court appearance for a minor nonviolent misdemeanor, the lawsuit states. Despite his sister's efforts to alert jail staff that Mr. Monk was under a doctor's care and taking a number of prescribed medications, the jail staff failed to provide those medications to Mr. Monk, according to the lawsuit. All right, guys, so this is a very literal example of the mask mandate's harmful impact on everybody but this guy was thrown in prison for having a dispute on a bus about mask wearing and of course we all know the harmful effect that the mandates had on kids hiding you know hiding everybody's expressions but children especially very young they're learning speech patterns they're learning words they're learning how to communicate and the impact on kids has been catastrophic So the question now is, and and even the New York Times and other left-wing outlets and organs that have been supportive of masks all along, even they're now acknowledging that, yeah, mask wearing, especially for kids, has been very, very disastrous. But the question is, is anybody going to be punished for any of these policies that not just hurt kids, but hurt everybody? Mask mandates weren't the only bad response to COVID. You had the school lockdowns that led to learning loss. You had the shutdown of the U.S. economy. We're still feeling the effects of that two and a half years later. The vaccine mandates, which tens of thousands of people have lost their jobs over, including police officers and other groups that are supposed to be protecting us. And again, even now the New York Times and others are saying, You know what? This was a bad road to go down. These mandates are not over. Los Angeles County just announced today that as of, I think, July 29th, they are reinstating the mask mandate for indoor uh, areas. And other other cities, I'm sure, New York, Chicago, I'm sure, Philadelphia, they're all going to go down this road again. You can see Governor Ron DeSantis laughing (laughs) at all of this. They're reinstating. They're bringing it back. You know why? To tee up the drop boxes and the mail-in voting for November. They see the writing on the wall. They know that their only option is to try to steal it again by all of these COVID measures. So they're teeing this up. This is what all of this is about. But at the same time, they're using these mandates not just to to try to rig November's elections, but also to undermine our very foundations in this country, to make us less protected, less assured. I mentioned the police. Get this. The military is now set to kick out 62,000 National Guard and Army Reserve soldiers due to their VAC status. The sum of 62,000 U.S. service members is close in number to that of the entire regular Canadian military. They've got 68,000 troops. So we're going to kick out the equivalent of the entire Canadian armed forces over their vac status. Obviously, this is going to be disastrous for our military readiness. And of course, the Secretary of Defense won't lose his job over this. No, you can only lose your job if you refuse to take the experimental vaccine. If you create policies that destroy the economy and ruin children's learning, you end up getting promoted. This is one of the key problems in America today, okay? It points to a much, much bigger issue, which is the total lack of accountability the total lack of any kind of uh, consequences for the ruling class and the unit parties' disastrous actions that destroy the country and hurt all of us. No one was ever punished for the Iraq war, which ended up being a disaster. No one was ever punished for the 2008 financial crisis. Remember, nobody went to jail. The result was Donald Trump's victory in 2016, because people just got absolutely fed up with the two-tier justice system. Hillary Clinton skating away with her illegal uh, email server and all of her corruption, Bill Clinton with his corruption, Barack Obama with his corruption, Joe Biden with all of his and his family's corruption. All of it, but the policies, like I mentioned, the Iraq War, the financial crisis—they just play fast and loose with policy and the agenda, and and hurting all of us in the process, plunging us into a, a catastrophic war. And I supported it at the beginning, but in retrospect, it was a disaster. Americans lost their lives as a result of that, or the financial crisis where people lost everything because the elites are making decisions at the top that don't affect them. They're not fighting in the sands of the Middle East or Afghanistan. They're not out there, uh, you know, losing their shirts in the financial crisis, maybe some, but it plunged the entire economy into a, a, just a very dark hole for a long time. And all of us had to suffer the consequences. And we look around and go, so the elites, the ruling class, the uni party are making all of these decisions and we're the ones left holding the bag. Screw that. Screw it. And that's why we went for Donald Trump in 2016, along with a whole other range of reasons. But you know, this guy, Chris Arnade, he's a bond trader, former bond trader. He traveled the country during the 2016 primaries. He had a great way of describing all of this. He described the Trump phenomenon as, quote, the back row kids getting revenge on the front row kids. And he wrote about the massive breach of trust between uh, those at the top who are creating policy and implementing it, the front row kids, versus those who have to execute it and suffer the consequences, the back row kids. That split between the ruling class and everybody else, uh, that is... That's the split of our time, not just in the U.S., but in the West and around the world. You're seeing these polls about how Americans no longer trust our institutions, like the Supreme Court, like the the police, like the media, like the government. The numbers are dropping through the floor because of the hypocrisy. And especially, you know, the, the COVID-19 mess, and this is why that story about this lawsuit is so critically important. It's, it's one family trying to hold people accountable for the, for the policy choices that they inflicted on the rest of us. We need more of that. I want not just this lawsuit to succeed, but there has to be broader accountability going all the way up to the top. Dr. Fauci, Rochelle Walensky, uh, Redfield, the guy who preceded Walensky. I want all of these people on trial. I want accountability. I want transparency. I want to see all of the data. I want to see all of the, the policy decisions. I want all of the emails. I want all of it. Because the the people who, you know, think about this, Fauci, Walensky, and the rest, none of them have been held accountable. They're still out there lying through their teeth. I want them on trial, prosecuted, and in prison. That's what I want. We cannot go on this way with all of these episodes, whether it's uh, the Iraq war, the financial crisis, as I mentioned, COVID, and all of the crimes that have been committed around COVID. Or you think about the the hot summer of 2020 when Antifa and Black Lives Matter were burning down American cities all with no accountability. In fact, the exact opposite. People like Kamala Harris were bailing these terrorists out of prison and putting them back on the streets with the help of these Soros DAs. We cannot keep going along like this where the people who encourage all of these catastrophes and all of this damage are not being punished. In fact, like I said, the opposite. They're being promoted. They're on MSNBC or working in the White House. Meanwhile, the rest of us, the peoples who whose businesses were burned down, are still left holding the bag. People lost their livelihoods. People are being thrown out of the military because of the vax mandate. All of this stuff, the regular Americans that keep this country going and supported. We're the ones taking the slings and arrows. And there are no consequences for those at the top. We cannot go on like this. This is not hypocrisy. It's hierarchy. And it is not sustainable. The 2016 election was a revolution, and we are now due for another one. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to the great Steve Moore about what he found out about some of those people at the top in the Biden administration. We'll also talk to him about inflation, and get ready, your email straight up. Well, I'm so thrilled to welcome back to the show our great friend, Steve Moore. Steve, of course, is the co founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. He was an economic advisor to President Trump. And I should say that the Committee to Unleash Prosperity's website is committee to unleash prosperity.com. You should be going there every day because they're doing extraordinary work, including releasing a brand new study about the Biden administration and private sector business experience of those who are taking our economy off the cliff. Steve joins me now. Steve, welcome back.
2: Hi, Monica. Great to be with you. It was fun being with you uh, the other night on the Hannity show. You knocked it out of the park, my friend. So it was really, really great experience. And you're right. This, um, you know, you and I did work for Donald Trump and we're surrounded by so many talented people. Who, you know, whether, uh, you know, Steve Mnuchin or Larry Kudlow or, uh, you know, all of the people who, in Donald Trump himself, who had 40 years of business experience. And so we wanted to look at how does that contrast with the Biden team? And so we looked at the six top 65 people who, starting with the president and the vice president, Kamala Harris, and the, the key cabinet people who deal with money and finance and commerce issues. And and then people running the regulatory agencies and so on. And I, I was astonished. Most of the people in the administration have, in the Biden administration, have no business experience. Now I'm not saying they haven't run businesses. Monica, they haven't even worked for a business.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's not surprising at all. And you and I were on Hannity the other night talking about your new study on this. And I wanted to make the point, Steve, that I made on TV with you the other night. People forget that Joe Biden was Barack Obama's vice president. Barack Obama, before he became president, or before he even got into politics, made his career as a community organizer. But he did spend a very brief amount of time in the private sector, and he had described that brief period of time as being, quote, behind enemy lines. So, (laughs) And I know you laughed on TV, too, when I said that, but it's 100% true and so revealing. You are really dealing with neo-Marxist ideologues, whether it's Barack Obama, Joe Biden never really was that. He was always just sort of a malleable puppet. But the people around Joe Biden, as you point out in this study, you're dealing with straight up ideologues who don't have any business experience or private sector experience really, and don't care to because their objective is something completely different.
2: Yeah, so a couple comments about that. Number one, um, at least, you know, I've, I've been in Washington a long time, 35 years, and at least, for example, with Bill Clinton, I, I didn't, you know, sometimes I agreed with Bill Clinton, sometimes I didn't, but he had some pretty smart people around him, like Robert Rubin, who ran Goldman Sachs, who, you know, uh, really knew how to run an operation and how the economy worked. I don't see anybody. <laughs> I thought it might be Janet Yellen, but she has completely. Drunk the Kool Aid of the kind of ideological left. I want to make another point. It's yes, of course that you and I and conservatives disagree with these folks on an ideological basis. So we don't we're not in agreement with them in terms of their core beliefs. But the point of our study is they there's just no no core competence here. It, in other words, they're not just ideologically out of line with us. They're the people around Joe Biden are incompetent they can't handle this and it's scary actually i mean we're going into a recession we got tough times ahead and they have no it's like you know a 5 year old driving a mercedes <laughs>
1: You know, they're they're communists, but maybe they're not particularly competent communists is what what you're saying. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Bill Clinton, and I think back, he had Robert Rubin who came out of Wall Street. I think he was Treasury Secretary for for a while. Uh, You know, Bill Clinton had some people who had some private uh, sector and or Wall Street experience who knew how the economy Mm -hmm. worked. When people say that uh, Barack Obama and his team or Joe Biden, and his team that they ju- they just don't know they just don't know how the free market works. I reject that out of hand, Steve Moore. I say they do know how the free market works. They just reject it.
2: Well, I think there is a lot of truth to that. I mean, this week was quite a week, uh, wasn't it, Monica? Because we, I was, I couldn't sleep at night because I was afraid that Joe Manchin was going to cut a deal with uh, with uh, with uh, Chuck Schumer. And do another trillion-dollar spending bill, which I mean, talk about dousing a forest fire with with kerosene. And so, um, thank God. By the way, now it looks like Joe Manchin. When he saw those inflation numbers, the terrible inflation numbers that came out this week, he's backed off of that for now. So, um, but it's pretty sad that you know he's the only one. Maybe Kristen Cinema out of all the Democrats in Congress who doesn't want to spend and tax more, which is what got us into this crisis in the first place. I mean, they're they're immune from evidence. These are the people who said, don't worry, it's not going to cause inflation. Don't worry, it's temporary. Don't worry, it's, uh, it's peaked. Don't worry, it's only a uh, uh, kind of high-income person problem. I mean, they've been wrong, 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 wrong. And yet they continue to peddle this stuff. And it's not surprising to me that 82% of Americans now believe the economy is headed in the wrong direction because they can feel it every day.
1: Yes. And you know what? I I think when all of these people, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Janet Yellen, when they all went out and, and Jerome Powell and they all talked about inflation being transitory, Maybe some of them last year believed that, but I think overall they were lying. I, you know, these are not dumb people. They're they're just ideologically on a completely different page, and their objectives for the country and for the economy are completely different. I think they were lying through their teeth. I think Janet Yellen has been head of the Fed. Uh, she was uh, Bill Clinton's chief economic advisor. She knows better. She knows the laws of economics. She knew that I- that inflation was on the rise and likely to become deeply entrenched they were all lying to us because we were trying to slam through this big spending i just did the whole monologue for today's show right before you steve about mansion uh and and the fact that he seems to be putting the brakes on this i mean never say never in washington but it looks like at least for now he's saying no
2: you know i've i've said this uh larry kudlow show and with you and and others, you know, for the last six months, build back better, this crazy two, $3 trillion spending bill they want will not be officially dead until we take that gavel out of Nancy Pelosi's hands in in January of 2020, uh, you know, the, the 2023. These are really important elections. But I want to make one other quick point, if I may, about the study, because I've been thinking a lot about it and I want to just make two quick points about it. Number one, one of my... Um, donors, you know, when he saw the study, he said, you know, isn't it ironic that these people, all they ever talk about said diversity, that's one of their favorite words, diversity, diversity on skin color and religion and ethnicity and, you know, sexual preference and all these things, you know, but gee, don't you think they, at least for the sake of diversity, they might have a few business people in their, in their cabinet. But then I was thinking about it, you know, it's not, it's not like it was an oversight that they didn't put business people in these positions. It was intentional. They don't like business. <laughs> right. They don't like business men and women. So they, they intentionally left them out because they have no um, respect for people who, you know, whether it's look, I'd rather have the guy running the dry cleaner down the street running our economy than these professors that Biden has brought in.
1: Yeah, remember William F Buckley's famous line that he'd rather be governed governed by the first 100 people in the Boston phone book than the elite yeah. ruling class? Yeah, that's exactly right. Look, the reason that they didn't put anybody with any kind of private sector experience in is because they were they if they did they would ignore them. This is about a radical ideological transformation of the country, and they've got to remake and re-engineer the U.S. economy in order to achieve that. So they never take their eye off the prize. They didn't want anybody dissenting in the the cabinet or resigning in protest for uh, astronomical inflation, a supply chain crisis, and labor crunch, and all the stuff we're going through. If you had somebody in there who was honest, who understood what they were really doing and opposed it, they would resign in protest, maybe. They could not have that. So this is why your study is so important, because it shows with real facts, based on the, the the people around Joe Biden, what we're actually dealing with here. And it shows you why there's no course correction, Steve.
2: You know, um, I, I want the Republicans to win in 2000 in the midterms. And, and I obviously want Biden out of this White House and Camel out of this White House. But this is a dangerous period for our country. And he he has got to bring in someone who knows something. I mean, I mean, if I were him, if he asked me for his advice about how to deal with the economy, what I would tell him is, Mr. President, bring in a Fred Smith or someone who knows something. I mean, this economy is going to crash if these people and millions and millions of Americans are going. To, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I mean, I'm looking at my 401k plan with my wife this weekend. I mean, my God, I'm not a rich person. We lost $250,000 of our lifetime savings Mm -hmm. because of the crash in the market. I mean, and that's what so many tens of millions of Americans are experiencing. So Joe Biden, if you're listening to this, get somebody in there, hand hand them over, you know, whether it's a, 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 you know, a Jack Welch type of person who can handle this. Because when you put Pete Buttigieg in charge of dealing with the
1: supply chain problem, he doesn't know anything about business. I mean, it's laughable. Which is why he's there. So Steve, I love you, but you can't seem to get to where I am, which is all of this is intentional.
2: It's just a, yeah, you think it's intentional.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a hundred percent intentional. This is this is a neo-Marxist revolution that is happening beneath us. And so, when you say he needs someone in there who know, they, they have no intention of bringing anybody in there who's on our side and understands economics. The whole point is to destroy the U.S. economy so they can rebuild it in this neo-Marxist model. So, uh, before we let you go, Steve, I got to ask you about the broader economy, um, inflation. Inflation 9.1% in June. Uh, uptick in terms of consumer prices. We're all feeling it at grocery store. Gas prices through the roof. Uh, everybody is living this this nightmare as it is. But I've heard you say on Maria Bartiromo and other Fox Business shows that you think maybe we've hit peak inflation and it'll stay high, but you don't necessarily anticipate it going even higher. Is that right?
2: yeah i think it, i think we are going to see over the course of the next six months a, gra- a gradual reduction in inflation because i like to look at some of these forward indicators like commodity prices uh you know brown prices uh the gold price and they're not signaling you know a, a stampede of inflation above what we have now but let's just say i'm right and let's say they're able to bring the inflation rate down to six percent which would be a huge improvement over where we are now. that's still a disaster you know this monica the the inflation rate under Donald Trump averaged 2%, right. and it was 1.5% when he left office. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a gradual reduction in um, in the inflation rate. But I'm also worried that this Fed tightening, which is necessary now because we've put ourselves into this ditch, is going to cause a, a recession. It could be really, really difficult for people. And look, I hope I'm wrong. I never I never root against America. But tell me one thing, Monica. You were there under Trump in a key economic position. Tell me one thing that Joe Biden has done that's right on the economy.
1: Nothing. And again, on purpose. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) It's all being done on purpose. Uh, No, you're exactly right. And you mentioned the R word recession. Do you think we're already in one? I mean, we're going to get Q2 numbers pretty soon here, uh, at least the first print. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I've been saying for the last month on Fox and other places that we're in a soft recession right now. It's a mild recession, but the economy is shrinking. But worst of all, the, the worst thing right now for Americans is their paychecks are shrinking. And Monica, you know, one thing that you and I and Donald Trump and Larry Kudlow were so proud of is we had a six thousand five hundred dollar increase in median after inflation income under Trump in just three and a half years. You know, until the COVID hit, and you know what's really just so disheartening is that in in Biden's first 18 months in office he's almost erased those entire gains.
1: yes yes and on top of inflation you've got the average American family forking out an additional5200 dollars annually in yep. uh, yep. higher prices. Listen, Donald Trump delivered a booming economy and world peace. I don't know what more people expect or want from an American president, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, Steve, thank you so much for being here. And if anybody wants to check out this study about the Biden cabinet, the Biden team and their lack of private sector experience, it's a really interesting study. It's a quick read and easy read. You can find it at committee to unleash prosperity.com. You should be going there every day to see their great work anyway. And our good friend Steve Moore, thank you so much for being. Here, Steve.
2: Thanks, Monica. Have a great week ahead.
1: You bet. You too. Thanks. Okay, guys, time for the Friday email bag. Let's rock. We went very long on the program today. So, one email, but keep them coming to Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll have more on Monday. Bill writes Greetings, Monica. Thank you for all the podcasts. The amount of time spent in prepping, presentation, opinions of yourself and guests just hits a home run with me. The rewards of your hard work are showing. In no time at all, I feel you'll have a very broad base of listeners dedicated and addicted to your patriotism. God bless Eric Metaxas, who was a guest we had on several weeks ago talking about the role of God and faith in culture. Uh, Bill says, I listened intently to the godly leadership he possesses. He has such a heart for America and for the world. The evil is being played out in real time now. May more see it for what it's worth, turning to right, seeing the wrong, building the resistance to overcome the destructive teardown of America. Right will prevail. Thank you once again for your work to teach and provide leadership to Americans wanting to be examples and do something to stand up and make America great again. God bless you. Such a great note, Bill. Thank you so much for the very kind words and support, and I am thrilled that you're loving this show so much. And I will say that I agree that more and more people are seeing the straight-up evil dominating so much of our politics And really, every part of our lives and culture, it's just pure evil. It used to dress itself up pretty well, but no more, right? It's really out there now in all of our faces, all up in our grill. And as a result, I do think more people are seeing it clearly now. So that might be a silver lining to all of this. The evil is being exposed. And I truly believe, Bill, as you do, that right will prevail because in the end, God wins. God bless you, Bill, and God bless all of you guys. That's a wrap on another week on the Monica Crowley Podcast. Keep those emails coming in, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me and for checking out our great sponsors on this show. Have a fantastic weekend, and I will see you right back here on Monday with another big show on election fraud in the 2020 election. We're going to break apart what we know. We're also going to have the fantastic Carrie Lake who is running for governor of Arizona, so you're not going to want to miss that. See you then.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.